0: Jesus is real. There's power in Your name. We find hope when we trust in Your waves. We believe Jesus is
1: real. Jesus shows us that we all have growing parts. And so, for us, as we study these seven letters to the seven churches, we need to remember that each church is a revelation of Jesus in its community and in its world. Each church, if you believe the Bible, and you should, in Romans chapter 5 tells us that the church is the bride being prepared for her wedding day.
0: Today, Pastor Daniel begins to walk through the letters from Jesus to the seven churches. These bodies of believers were established, working churches at the time the Apostle John was given these words to share, but each had its own issues that needed to be addressed. And as you'll learn again and again through these letters, God's talking to all churches through these words. Everyone can benefit from the words penned long ago. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 2 as he begins his message, The Church in Ephesus. Ephesus.
1: So I don't know about you, but I'm loving studying the book of Revelation already. And just the first chapter has been so full of things for us to think about and process to learn from. You know, today we move into a section, what is commonly called the seven letters to the seven churches. And I'm aware of the fact that as I preach this message here and that this is Valentine's Day weekend. Now, I realize you say the word Valentine's Day and like all sorts of emotions get evoked. For some people, they're like, yes, I love Valentine's Day. And other people are like, don't even talk to me about Valentine's Day. I say, well, Fusco, what is this all really about? Like, why are you telling me this? Well, and here's why. Because according to the scriptures, the church is the bride of Christ, right? So the idea of, in a book that is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, for there to be two chapters or Jesus writing seven letters to seven different local churches, it's because, like, as a husband, at the very least on Valentine's Day, Lynn's getting a card, at the very least, right? Because I love her, and I want to express my love for her. I was talking to my, I have two daughters, Maranatha. She's 13 and Annabelle is eight. And Annabelle's like, dad, what's Valentine's day all about? I'm like, will you be my Valentine? She's like, yeah. She's like, what do I get? I'm like, you get me. (laughs) And she wasn't all that excited about that at the moment. But let's be honest. For those of you who are married, you know this. And for those of you who are single, you're going to be happy. I told you this a relationship is not made on a Hallmark holiday. You know, like a relationship is made in the intimacy that grows between two people. And if there's no intimacy, no amount of cards or flowers on Valentine's Day is gonna fix that. And in the exact same way, church is so important because Jesus has called a bride to himself. And church, although the idea of church in 21st century America has fallen on hard times in maybe the way people think about it in in our world, I'm here to tell you that the church is as beloved today as she has ever been because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, what's also important about this, by way of introduction to this whole section is the fact that the church is one of our roles as the bride of Christ is to be a revelation to the world of who Jesus is. Because not only are we the bride of Christ, the other pictures in the Bible is that the, the church is the body of Christ, where Jesus is the head and we're the body. And so as the church grows in maturity and moves into the world, as we become... Transformed to be more like Jesus, our head, then the world sees who Jesus is through the reflection of the church. Now, with that being said, as we study these seven letters over the coming weeks together, what we're going to find is that for almost all of these churches, Jesus is going to call some things out. He's got critiques to bring to the people of God. Now what's amazing is, is we live in a day and age where there's kind of like, there's two poles where it's like that either people just bag on the church all day long as like everything about the church is wrong or you have people who are like, don't tell me anything that's wrong with the church because you know, that's just, no. it's like, well no, it's like if you're a Christian and you bag on the church, you have to remember you are her. <laughs> like if you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus and the church is, it's like you are her. So you're a part of this. No matter how frustrating it is. And if you're the kind of person like, don't ever say anything. The church doesn't have it all together. Jesus shows us that we all have growing parts. And so for us, as we study these seven letters to the seven churches, we need to remember that each church is a revelation of Jesus in its community and in its world. Each church, if you believe the Bible, and you should, in Romans chapter five tells us that the church is the bride being prepared for her wedding day. Now here's the deal. It ain't the wedding day yet. So the church, you and I all have spots and wrinkles, things that we need work on. And the key for us is to be willing to say one, my life is to be a revelation of Jesus in the world. And two, where I have spot and wrinkles, I'm going to say, Lord, will you do the work you want to do in me? And if we can just get those two things in place, following Jesus and being a fully engaged family member as part of a local church, whether it's Crossroads or otherwise, it will make sense. But if we divorce those two realities from church, then it's really normal for people to be like, man, church is full of sinners. It's like, a uh, hello. Like, is there anybody else in the world? Oh, there's Jesus and then there's sinners. You know, when you put a bunch of sinners together and everyone's in a different step of their journey and everyone's got different things going on and, and then before you know it, it, be, it can be very challenging. But here's what I want to tell you. As challenging as church could be, and in a lot of ways, I have a vantage point. I can see how challenging it can be different from a lot of people because I have the inside scoop on lots of stuff. There is not a place in the world that is more generous There's no place in the world that is more joyful. There is no place in the world that people are more self sacrificial than in the church of Jesus Christ. You will never find, you take all the churches in all the world and you say, where do people freely give money to help other people? It's the church. Where do people freely give their time in mass to serve other people? It's the church. Where will you find a place where joy and praise is so prolific? I'm here to tell you, you're not going to find it in the Super Bowl. Because when the Super Bowl is going to be a mix of complaining, joy, heartache, all that stuff. But in a church, praise gets lifted up. You will never find a place where more prayer happens than church. Because every time we say, let's bow our heads in our hearts and pray, and some people pray along, and sometimes our church has recited prayers and, and individual prayers. And then you multiply that by billions of believers across the world. What's funny is, is I grew up not as a follower of Jesus and having lots of issues with church. And then I got saved. And I am more excited about church than I've ever been. Because the church is the bride of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And Jesus is doing a work of making us more like him so that we can be a revelation to the world of what it means to follow Jesus. It's why our culture has no tolerance for a church that does not reject Jesus. But let's just be honest. Our culture has no tolerance for anybody who's not like them. Like that's a cultural thing we have. People are more attacking and sensitive at the same time. And it's gonna be an amazing thing when our culture realizes that everybody's a hypocrite except for Jesus. But that's a different discussion for another day. So let's jump in our Bibles, right? Revelation chapter 2, picking up in verse 1, we think verses 1 to 7 together this is Jesus's letter to the church in Ephesus now each one of these letters have the same outline so i know a lot of you are taking notes and i was just talking to someone like fusco you talk too fast i've always done that but i'm trying to limit my caffeine so so i'll still talk too fast but i'm going to try But every one of these letters, it follows all seven of these letters follow the same outline. It begins with the revelation of Jesus himself, which is, remember we keep talking about like it's, this book is about Jesus. So every one of these letters has, this is the revelation of who Jesus is in and to this church. Second, he gives his commendation. These are the good things that you're doing. Now, there's a couple of churches that don't have anything good Jesus talks about. And we'll talk about that when we get there. Then he moves into these are the things that need work, the rebuke or the things that are not going well and there's a couple of churches that nothing bad is said about. Then there is the challenge or the encouragement to the church to have ears to hear and to take a step and then ultimately there's a promise given to the person who overcomes. So all of these letters follow the same kind of a pattern. Revelation chapter two, verse one. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Okay. Is everybody ready? Okay, I'm gonna take a big, big deep breath. Go ahead, exhale. Go ahead, do one more. Okay, exhale. I wanna remind you of something I said in the beginning. I've said it three times now in three messages. The three main ways to interpret the book of Revelation are going to be applied to this section as well. Remember I told you that some people say the book of Revelation is all about local events that happened when it was being written around the time of the Roman Empire, the early church. That's called the preterist position, right? You have to realize that these seven letters are letters to seven local churches that were around when John wrote this letter. Okay. So, so this is a, it has a local fulfillment. Now that's the first way to interpret the book of revelation. The second way is a, what you call a symbolic interpretation where everything is symbolic of something else, right? Now in that way, notice at the end of that letter, it says let he who has ears hear what the spirit says to the church So even though these are local letters from Jesus to local churches, is actually asking all the churches to hear all the letters and learn from them. So in a, in a sense, these seven letters are symbolic of all churches. So any church that has ears to hear can hear what the message is being said. So it's got a symbolic fulfillment. And then people have what we call a futuristic fulfillment, which everything is coming in the future. Now, some Bible teachers would tell you that each one of these churches, if you take them in order, gives you a different epoch in church history. What's fascinating about that, if you study not only contemporary commentaries, but actually scholars throughout the, the life of Christianity, what ends up happening is, is everybody puts their church as the church in Philadelphia and puts the church that they're against as the dead church or the church of Laodicea, which is really funny. So depending on what your tribe is and what you value, you make yourself the best church and then you decide who you don't like and they're the worst church. So I think that it's fun but I don't really know how much weight it holds but what I do know is that the church is not only historical and present but it's also future. Does that make sense? And, and each season of life in every culture every church has different variables that it's dealing with and I think that these seven letters not only for us in the present day but into the future, these letters are important because Jesus is like, this is who I am this is who you are This is what you're doing good. This is what you're not doing good. This is what the step I want you to take. And this is what will happen if you take the step. So I don't really hold to the epochs of church history because if you go back to the Reformation, obviously the Catholic church is the bad church and the, the Reformation church is the good church. When I came up, it was like, well, the mainline... Reformation churches, they're the dead churches, we're the good church, and there's other churches that are the bad churches. And so I realized that if Jesus doesn't return soon, at some point they're gonna look at themselves as the church of Philadelphia, and we'll probably be considered something bad, and whoever they like will be really bad. And so it kind of becomes this, how do I pat myself on the back with scripture? Which, we wanna pat Jesus on the back with scripture, and we just wanna keep growing. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay, let's jump on in. What we learn first is that Jesus is in our midst And he knows. That's how we begin. Jesus is in our midst, and he knows. Notice, to the angel of the church of Ephesus right now. Of course, Ephesus was called the queen of Asia. It was architecturally profound. It was a huge commercial city. Of course, Paul wrote his letter, the letter to the Ephesians there. He spent years ministering there. He was actually part of a riot that happened there, if you remember, in Acts chapter 19, according to church history, they believe that Aquila and Priscilla, this husband and wife team traveling missionaries who were tent makers like the apostle Paul, were the ones who founded potentially the church there, according to church history. We don't know for sure. It's not in scripture. But so you have Aquila and Priscilla brought the gospel there or helped found the first church. Paul spent many, many years there. And so obviously the church in Ephesus has its own book. Uh, We read about the book of Acts and now we see them here. Now, I say that Jesus is in our midst because notice these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. This is verse one and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, if you're with us at the end of chapter one, both of these were a picture that John saw. John saw this revelation. He saw Jesus, one like the son of man, walking in the midst of these seven golden lampstands. And then he had seven stars in his hand. And by the end of Revelation chapter one, we find out that these seven golden lampstands are seven churches in Asia who he's gonna write these letters to. And the seven stars are these seven angels or messengers who are, and some people say, well, it's the person who's bringing the letters. Some people say the angels are the pastor there. I don't know. All I know is that Jesus now is writing a letter to these angels, right? It's really to the church, but it's through a person who's getting to share this stuff. But what's powerful is Jesus says, this is who I am. These things say he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and he walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now here's the deal. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am what? I'm in their midst. Everything about your life changes when you realize that Jesus is in your midst. You're never alone You're never on your own. You're never like nobody sees this. Listen, when you realize that you live in the midst of Jesus, everything changes. Because for so much of us, our lives and our behaviors are tied to what is gonna be the fallout if someone catches me doing this. Knowing that people will catch you might be a good initial motivation, but really a truly spirit-filled biblical worldview is that we live before Jesus all day, every day. You're not hiding anything from Jesus. Jesus actually wants us to be aware of his presence. And for many of us in the busyness of life and in all the things that go on, we forget that we live our lives in the midst of Jesus. I mean, how many of us in, I'm going to school, I got work, I got this, I got, I got the gym, I got sports, I got all these things. And all those things are wonderful. But if we're not careful, we lose the awareness that we live a life in the presence of Jesus. And what happens is that at some point when we spend enough time unaware of his presence that who he is begins not to matter to us anymore. And so in this year of revelation, remember I said like one of our goals is that we see Jesus in fresh ways, that there's a personal revival that happens. And I realize that for each one of us, your own personal revival will happen when you realize I'm always in the presence of Jesus. At the end of Matthew's gospel, I got a little bit ahead of our reading plan because I'm that kind of guy. I just wanted to keep reading. And and at the very end, it says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's like, listen, I am always with you. Jesus is always in our midst, right? And then I said, and not only is Jesus in our midst, but I said, he knows, because notice what he says in verse two. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear with those who are evil, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. You found them liars and you have persevered and you have patience and you have labored for my name's sake and you have not become weary. See, Jesus knows what this church, the church in Ephesus was going through. He knew all the strengths and weaknesses that they had. And I think it's a powerful thing when you realize that Jesus knows What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your life? He knows what's happening. He knows the things that you've done really well at. And for the church in Ephesus here, Jesus says seven different things that they did. I know your works. I know how you're working. I know your labor. I know how you're exuding energy to get certain things done. I, I know your patience. I love that because I don't think Jesus ever knows that about me because I'm working on that. Right? It's like, I know your patience. And I'm like, ah, I wish Jesus would say that to me one day. Because I'm, I'm, like, I'm that guy. I'm like, right now, everything should have been done yesterday. When I have to do something, I'm like, I should have had that done yesterday. And the Lord's like, Daniel, patience is the fruit of the Spirit. I'm like, ah, the Lord. But every time, I'll never forget when I was reading this many, many years ago. I know your works, your labor, and your patience. And I was immediately thought of a scripture verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Because in First Thessalonians 1 verse 3, the Apostle Paul picks up works, labor, and patience and puts it into a scripture verse. That's what he says. To the churches of Thessalonica, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, our Father. Isn't that beautiful? Work, labor, and patience. Your work of faith. And we've always said it. We don't get saved by works. We have a faith that works. James said, faith without works is dead. What he's saying is that if you have faith in Jesus, it will change how you live. If your faith in Jesus does not change how you live, then you don't have faith in Jesus. Because true biblical faith is expressed in the world. Not to save us, but because we're saved, because the spirit of God is in us, our lives change. So there's a work of faith. There's a labor of love. I love that. It is a labor of love. That sometimes love and loving, you have to work at it. It's, you have to labor in it. Jesus said, greater love is no other than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. Talk about a labor of love. You are Jesus's labor of love. So am I. And also this patience and hope. I love that. That marriage of this idea of long suffering, but with hope. All through the Bible... What you find is that a believer can have hope because Jesus was risen from the grave. Right? So we have your work. I know your labor. I know your patience. He goes on to say that you cannot bear those who are evil. So what you have here is that this is a church that's not compromising. They're not letting things slide. Jesus
0: is... Pastor Daniel talked today about a church that existed in the time of the Apostle John. The church in Ephesus was thriving, or so it seemed, and really, there were good things going on in the people there. God saw their patience and their intolerance of evil. These are characteristics of followers of Christ. But do they mean you're perfect? Definitely not. And this church needed to know that as well. They had things they needed to work on, just like all of us do. Hey, everybody, this
1: is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be
0: honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard
1: reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances.
0: You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will continue to talk through the letter written to the church in Ephesus. They were conscientious people well aware of the evil that existed in their city and quick to recognize false prophets, but their actions weren't fueled by the right motivation. They lost their love for Jesus, and that was something that needed to be remedied fast. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series in the book of Revelation, Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.